Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You can literally buy them for £7,000 and then you can sell them for £25,000, £30,000. Ben Gallagher has built a multi-million pound fashion business at the age of 23. We buy and sell pre-loved luxury items. Last year, we grew 950,000 followers across our three socials. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Your business has bigger social following than billion dollar businesses. What was your strategy? I'm so, so surprised that people haven't copied us. It's a strategy I like to call you have disrupted in the true sense of the word. I was trying to grow this business any way I could and nothing was working. Buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. I haven't even spoken to anyone about this actually. For people listening who are like in a rut if they want any advice and say that the best advice from my point of view is Hello and welcome to a new and improved Working Hard, Hardly Working. This year we are levelling up the podcast. So welcome to my new office where the podcast is going to be from. It's not just better surroundings. The guests we have this year are truly mind-blowing and I cannot wait. And today is no exception. Ben Gallagher has built a multi-million pound fashion business at the age of 23. You might not have heard of his name, but if you're on TikTok, I can guarantee you'll have seen his encyclopedic videos on the fashion industry. Growing up in Formby near Liverpool, Ben talks about how he always wanted to keep up with his friends who had the latest designer pieces, but he couldn't afford it. And after seeing the discounts of pre-loved items, it's actually a really incredible story, he and his brother started a consignment shop in Liverpool. Now, just five years later, Lux collects turns over millions each year and has just received investment from Stephen Bartlett after they came out on top on Dragon's Den. I'm so delighted to be chatting to Ben today. I got so much from our conversation. Just a small hint and a spoiler alert. If you are a brand on social media or you are on social media and you like talking about social media strategy, you are going to absolutely love this episode. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. I absolutely loved it and I learned so much. you for joining me no worries thanks for having me i'm very excited to have you here today always eager and keen to learn from people who've been there and done it but especially people we've looked up to for a very long time oh thanks i feel like i'm not someone who's been there done that that's like a huge compliment (laughs) i want to talk straight away about your early life generally what were formative experiences for you Mm -hmm. so first of all you grew up in liverpool Mm -hmm. can you like paint me a picture of what your childhood was like absolutely so liverpool like as a city a beautiful amazing place to grow up like the people are the best so friendly whenever you speak to people and you say you're from liverpool they're buzzing because they're like oh my god i get to speak to someone from liverpool but we're from a place like just outside of liverpool so it's about half an hour so it's called formby formby's (laughs) like a very wealthy area Mm. so growing up we were always surrounded by like richer kids like my mum was saying this to me the other day she was like did you really feel poor as a kid growing up? And I was like, it's not that we were poor. Like we weren't poor at all. But like my friends had swimming pools, the people you know, they all had massive houses and, and swimming pools and jacuzzis and saunas and gyms. And we just had like a small house between four kids of us. So it was always right. very cramped and busy. It's so interesting. Sorry to interrupt. I feel like that is such a formative experience of so many people who I've spoken to that have like a very hustle-based mindset. Mm-hmm. It's it doesn't matter where the reality actually was. Like, it doesn't matter whether, like, comparative to, like, an average, you know, your family was wealthy or, like, comparative to an average. Like, it's all about the relativity. It's so interesting that, like, everyone who has grown up to have this kind of, like, 
striving mentality seems to have that in common. Well, you get you, you get used to your surroundings, innit? So that's, mm. that's why you get like depressed billionaires and millionaires is because as soon as you get accustomed to right. your lifestyle and your environment, it becomes normal to you. If anyone from inner city Liverpool was to look at us growing up, they would like be in awe of our upbringing. Right. But because we were surrounded by like footballers and footballers' kids and everything like that, as kids, we were like, oh my God, like how the hell do we fit in with this bunch? Because as kids, all you want to do is like follow the crowd and fit, fit in with everyone because you don't want to be like the black sheep. You don't want to be an easy target mm. for say like bullies in, in high school. You want to be as blended as possible. So like, me and Joe always looked at it and being like, how can we fit in? And it was always about money. Right. So it's like, how can we make a little bit more money to wear the same clothes as these guys, to feel like these guys, to to go to town shopping and not have to not have to come back with with nothing in our hands. Mm. It was a motivator for sure as we were growing up. It made things realistic and made things attainable. And this is all life is and all our business has been so far. It's like if there is evidence that it's been done before, if someone who looks like you and has been in the same environment as you, has done it, then there's no reason why you can't do it. Like I saw someone the other day, it was like, he has this massive computer company. Peter Jones from Dragon's Den. He's right. like, Matthew- I saw this random guy the other day. <laughs> <laughs> he was this like, guy in passing that he, I just saw, he's called Peter Jones. <laughs> he was like, Matthew Dale built a computer when he was a teenager. And I looked at him and thought, why can't I build a computer? And then he started building computers. And it's just that same thing. Like if someone who looks like you has done it, then there's no mm. reason why you can't do it as well. And it's all about mindset, right? So like no matter like what, what you're given, what aids that you get from parents, family, mentors, whatever, if, if you don't have the right mindset of, of, you, of you believing in yourself and you thinking that you can achieve these things, there's, there's like you could have everything being given, everything in the world right. on a plate and you could not achieve it. Mindset cannot get you there alone. Mm -hmm. Like I think it is also true that there is huge disparity even in the UK and like mindset alone will not get you somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think it's especially important that someone like me says that, like I've had an incredibly privileged upbringing. So mm -hmm. me sitting here and being like, it's all about yeah, mindset, yeah, yeah, like yeah. never gonna be helpful. It's kind of saying, but you will not get there if you do not have the right yes, mindset, like regardless of what you have. Yeah. Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I was really lost in high school. So like, 14 to 16, so it's like years 10 and 11. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. When I went into sixth form, I got even more down and they were like the worst years of my life because like mm. people around me were so sure, like I want to go to university. They didn't know what they wanted to do after right. university. But when you're that young, all it is is like, what's it's the, the next, next step? Thing. Yeah, what's, yeah. What, what am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing? What am I doing next month? So like they all wanted to go to uni and I was just like, I was like, I, like not breakdown, but like internally and mentally, I was like, I, have, I do not know what I want to do as a, like, a grown up. So like there was loads of things that I was doing, like applying to the Navy, like most random things. Really? You were going to be made in the Royal Navy? Uh, ever. Just like, it was just, just so random. But like, I don't think my mum wanted me to do it. And I do have asthma. So they were like, my mum was like, oh no, you don't want to be doing that. Let's try and do that. So I applied for the civil service. I got a job in the civil service, but then I never ended up taking it just because it was down in London. And I was like, oh, I don't want to move to London now. Uh, like I love living at home and like I'm being moldy coddled and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Because we were growing up and always trying to make make money, we were selling candles, caps, air fresheners, literally everything. Really? Like, so our... that kind of entrepreneurial spirit in terms of like what you were doing well, was yeah. always there. Yeah, and I was working since I was like 14. So I would do football refereeing. I used to work on the Christmas markets in Manchester every December for like four or five years up until I was like 17. 18 so like I, my work ethic has always been there and stuff that I really like doing and stuff that made me money never thought it was realistic for me to be able to turn that into a business especially so young like I was mm. 17 18 but then because like I knew I didn't want to do that I was like I'm just gonna have to try something so I knocked on Joe's bedroom I was like I've got this business idea it, it came from an inspiration from a Christmas present from a sister years ago. Do you want to do it with me? And literally like that, Joe was like, yeah, let's do it. Because he'd just come back from uni and he didn't have any real path or like any real direction or any real goals. So like even on the most micro level, it was just something that we could do together. And mm. like it, it would feel like we would accomplish something. Like if we got a sale, if we got a, a person selling to us, like everything we did on the smallest of levels, it felt it, it, achievable that we could scale it up. I've never looked back since and I genuinely can't at all imagine myself working for anyone ever so, anymore. So tell me about that story in terms of like the original inspiration. Mm -hmm. So there was always a budget for Christmas. It was a hundred pounds. We would get given. So like my mum would say hundred pounds, what do you want? And we'd go looking on 
JD, futsal him. And I was always looking from like filter, like search low to high, see yeah, how many yeah. pairs of shoes we can get for a hundred quid. <laughs> like just like trying to squeeze this money as much yeah, as yeah. we could. And then my sister on Christmas day, she opens these Isabel Morant Beckett trainers, which are the ones Beyonce wore in the Love on Top video. Right. And I knew they were expensive because all the rich girls around had them. And I was like to my mom, I was like, what? Like they're 400 pounds. Like we, we always only get hundred pounds. I was like, why has my sister got a pair of 400 pound trainers for Christmas? And then my mom introduced me to this website called Vestia Collective, right. which obviously everyone knows now, but back then it was like, no one really knew about it. And because the stigma of, of pre-love stuff and secondhand right. stuff was so like, that's dirty. That's disgusting. And that was, that was our biggest thing when we started the business. It was, we wanted to turn. And Joe really pushed this message of we wanted to break the stigma down around pre-love stuff. Like it is going to be cool. It is going to be a trend. And then three, four years later, everyone wants to be a part of it. We were in a real right place, right time moment. But like, obviously you have to build your yeah, look and work out your look. Right. Yeah, of course. And then COVID came in everything and it propelled it. But anyway, sorry, getting off track. Back to the story. Um, I, I went to my mom. She was like, they're from this website, Vestiaire. And I became obsessed with it because it kind of opens my eyes up to be like, how I can afford, afford luxury goods to fit in with my friends. Right. So I was looking at this site, searching everything my friends had, and they paid seven, eight hundred pounds for a pair of trainers, and they were like two hundred, three hundred pounds on this website. And I was like, oh my god, I can, I can, I can afford yeah. luxury stuff now. And then I don't know what happened, but I kind of took an entrepreneurial twist of it, of being like, well, if I'm interested in this stuff and I want to buy from this website, and not a lot of people know about it especially in England, because it's very European-based. Yeah. Because they came from France. They took about three weeks to come. They were bartering for weeks, like the story, like as I was yeah, asking yeah, I've, Like, I, I love Vestia Collective. Like, have like I originally started using it in, like, 2017 or yes. something. Like, I have used it for a long, long time. But also, there is that element of it where, mm -hmm. like, I've sold on there before and I've been like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, I'm actually not sure what's happening at any yeah. time. This, this and then some that come don't come through because yeah. they haven't been authenticated. Yeah. Like, you bought them and you're waiting for them. Well, there's and, like, pros and cons to so many of the models of pre-loved. And, like, Vestiaire have so many pros and so many cons. And mm. same with us. We have so many pros and so many cons. And then eBay, so many pros and so many cons. It's just what are the pros that fit your needs in that moment of wanting to sell? whether it's a quick payment, whether it's the most money, like there's so many different things right. that the, the consumer's looking for when they're looking to sell. And I went to Joe, I said, do you want to start this business? Yeah, it just it just went like that. And we started with a thousand pounds because Joe took 10,000 pounds out for a loan for a car. We had 1,000 pounds of his remaining. And then my life savings <laughs> at the time- Business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, spend more money on the car. We're used to leftovers <laughs> to start a business. And then, but I was still in school, so it was nothing we were going to be able to start serious right. straight it wasn't away like anyway. This is, it, obviously, like hindsight is amazing. Yeah, oh, like, you're not going to be looking at it and being like, and in a few years, we're going to have yeah. 2 million followers on TikTok and we're going to have this enormous business. Exactly. Like we're going to hire all these people. Mm. It was like, let's just try and make as much money. Like genuinely, when we first started, it was like, let's try and make as much money as possible. So when we go out on the week weekends, when we're partying with our friends, we have we have more money to spend. Right. It was just, it was all about... Like how, it was how the much real money. definition of a lifestyle business. Yeah, literally, literally. Yeah, one thing turned into another. And then there's a story that I said on socials the other day. And it, like I say it all the time. It's like, I was trying to grow this business any way I could and nothing was working. And I typed into YouTube, how do I grow my business? And a Gary Vee video came up and it was like, to grow your business, you must grow yourself. And I looked at it and thought, no, thank you. I am perfectly fine the way I am. Like this 17, 18 year old, arrogant, cocky kid. And then I was like, I'm going to grow my business by doing email marketing, by influencer marketing, all this sort of stuff. And nothing worked. And I was like, kept reverting back to this video. And I was like, I'm really going to have to work on myself if I want to grow this business. So then I started working on myself. And honestly, I would advise it to anyone out there who, who, is, who is like thinking about improving their lifestyle, improving who they are as people, because I was certainly not the best human being at all when I was a kid. And I, I am pretty harsh on myself, but because I knew the standard, as soon as I started implementing these little things of, of going to bed early, of training in the gym, of just being a nicer person, like having more conversations with my family, I honestly, all these just positive things on a micro level, my business like just started to, like we got more customers, we got more sales, we got more people selling to us. I got more ideas because my, my, my uh, mind was more clear. It was honestly like, if anyone's struggling to grow their business, the easiest thing is just to start growing yourself. And even if your business doesn't grow, 
you've grown yourself. Right. So you, there's, a, there's a net positive that comes out of it. Right. I think that's so interesting. I think because like people want to improve their lives. Like mm -hmm. they want to be able to get better over time. They yeah. want to be able to become a better person, to, yeah. to look better, like all of these different things that people are so looking towards. Well, I, I did it. I heard the meeting when we came back and I asked everyone what everyone's New Year's resolution is and everything that people said it was about themselves and improving themselves, whether it be getting mm. fitter, reading more, uh, doing more exercise. Like it was all about how they could, like everyone's resolution was how they can improve themselves. So it's a real, tr it's a real, real trend at the moment. So you credit the growth and the explosion of your business with the improvement of yourself as a person. If someone is listening to this right now mm. who is thinking, I'm a little bit stagnant, I feel like I'm at a place in my life where like it's a bit static, not much is moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend to them in terms of improving their life so that they can have like the results that you had in your life and your business? So one is what I always say in like talks that I do because someone asks that question all the time. And I say like, if there's this big mountain in front of you, and like, so the big mountain is I want to grow a massive business that's worth millions. Well, like that is really hard to attain if it's just like a big block that you put in front of you. So if you break it down into the most microest of levels and take it step by step and making sure that you're writing these things down so they're measurable targets and every time you hit them, you're ticking them off. It feels like no matter how small the task is, you're progressing. So whether that be just to come up with a brand name, come up with a brand pack, open an Instagram page, and then like they're on the microest levels. And then because you've got evidence that you're able to do this easy stuff, then the harder stuff just gets easier. So it's like finding a new manufacturer. I'm not in the manufacturing game, but I know it's so hard to do. So like that's a big achievement. Uh, finding a new supplier for a different type of material, and then you can start taking them off. And then by the time you know it, you're a third of the way up to this Mount Everest of, of, of building a, a multi-million pound company. So it's about breaking those goals down, ticking them off, and then you've supplied yourself with evidence that you can then attack the next goal. So it's all about building skill level up, but also the main thing is building evidence up that you're able to take, take on this action and be successful with it. There is such a clear reason why New Year's resolutions fail. And mm. it is the fact that you are creating a plan for the next 365 days based on something that you haven't even yet proved to yourself you can do for a week. And I feel like that's such a big part of it is that your, you know, the evidence that you're talking about, we're so used to setting these goals and sitting down at the beginning of the years and be, year and being like, I want to do these like 20 enormous things mm -hmm. rather than saying in the next three months, I'm going to commit to these three things every day, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this. Different things will let work for everyone. But the one thing you can absolutely say is that if you start too big, you are not going to be able to achieve it because it's not a one-step process. 100%. You need to have like, it's like being like, I need to be on that next story, like that next flight, but there's no steps to even get there. Like mm -hmm. you've just got to jump like that. It doesn't make any sense at all. 100%. And I feel like both in business, in life, in all, like there's a reason you measure goals in the way you do it in a business. You don't just look at, say, if you were doing some OKRs, so like objective and key results. If you were like, we need to get 10,000 more people to the site. You don't just write that as a goal. You write, you know, how much how you're, you're going to spend on yes. that. You're going to, you write like how many I don't know, it might be how many clicks you want from this thing or 100%. whatever it might be. You don't just write we need 2 million more in sales. It needs to be so specific and so measurable that you're ticking off all the things because that's a real good way of how you can achieve your goals. Mm. And really, like for people listening to this who are like in a rut, like you said like before, like if they want any advice, I, and say that they're waking up at 10, 11 o'clock or like they're not, going to, they're not going to the gym and they set all these expectations at the beginning of the year that they want to do all these things. Like if you're that person who's getting up at 10 o'clock, like if to get up at 7 o'clock from 10 o'clock, that is so difficult to do. So if you like, although it's so easy, it is so difficult because it's such a lifestyle change. So if you can do that and just focus on that for two to three weeks and then tick that off your list. And then if you want to get more, like you want to get the six pack, you want to get the abs, you want to get whatever, mm. like you want to get fitter. Do you know how hard it is if you don't exercise just to go on a walk of a night after work? Right. It is so hard to do these simple things. Like how hard is it to, if you're, if you're so used to, like your mental is so like, like like full up of clutter like so that means like your your room is probably dirty how how hard it is to clean your room mm. like if you're and but then because they're they're easy things to do but they're actually they're hard at the same time if you're able to do them 
then you're going to, like, if you're able to tick these things off your list, you're able to progress so much further. Mm. And even on the, like, like I keep on saying, on the most micro level, the easiest things that look easy to do, they're actually super hard. So you should mm. be so proud of yourself if you're able to do it. And I think also you need to know the type of person you are because like I know that I'm the type of person I can do anything in sprints. Like I can give you the best eight week like workout program that I will do back to back to back. I can get, you know, I can do very intense periods of almost anything. Like that is something that I hold as a real strength. The weakness as a part of that is long-term consistency. Yes. I don't face that issue when it comes to, you know, the businesses or whatever, because mm-hmm. they keep me very much occupied enough that that's not a problem. But knowing what type of person you are means that you're able to reach goals that you need to reach. So I'm the way I mean that is that at the moment I'm getting back into the gym. It's been something that I've let slack for a very long time. I just my career used to be so based on it Mm -hmm. that as soon as it became not so based on it I kind of just completely fell out of love with it because I didn't need to do it for the same reason it wasn't your identity exactly and so I was able to like divorce myself from that situation because I'm getting back into it at the moment the temptation for me as a person who wants to overachieve and who wants to do things in sprints is to work out five times a week Mm. and to literally be like you know this morning not going to the gym be like okay but then I'm going to fall off if that's if if you if that's as little as it takes for you to fall off and that's your personality you need to be able to work with that in in mind like i need to be able to say no mm. you're going to do 3 sessions a week maximum mm-hmm. and you're going to keep that consistent for however long you're not going to be doing 5 sessions a week for january that's pointless yeah. all you're doing is proving to yourself that you can do something for a few weeks because what's better doing 5 sessions a week for mm. a month or doing 3 sessions a week for the whole year right forever exactly but I think that knowing the type of person you are and knowing your weaknesses in that way is so incredibly important. Self-awareness is so key. Oh, you cannot do anything without self-awareness. But you can't. It's really hard to te- to educate people on how to become self-aware because it's so personal mm. to yourself. Mm-hmm. But like the most, the, like the thing I would do, like, the, like probably the best advice from my point of view is just journal. Yeah. Because you get to understand and know yourself a lot better. So that's so interesting that you say that because I was just thinking, how do you develop self-awareness as you said that? And then this is exactly why at the beginning of every single planner, although the planners are made for daily planning, like that's what they're made for. That's why I refuse to remove the beginning part, which is all around a life audit. And Mm. it's essentially asking yourself the questions like, what are my top five motivations? What do I wish I had more time to do? What are the three things that get in the way of my productivity? The most, All all of these different things. You cannot do the daily planning Mm -hmm. until you have done your life audit. Like you cannot, I refuse to believe it. And actually we need to all be asking ourselves those questions every three months, I personally believe. it's not because it's not something you can ask someone else because no matter how honest you ask someone to be they're never going to be fully honest Mm. and the only person they don't know you exactly so the only person who can be fully honest with you is Mm. yourself and like if you have a journal you know that no one's ever going to read it and everything you put in that page like honestly i've journaled for about two three years now and i look back at some of the stuff that i wrote and it is so nice to, Mm. to look at because like I'm really sad. I'm really angry. I'm like, like stuff been going on in my personal life that I'm just really not happy with. And I look back and think, I was like, I was so silly to have those things because now it's like, it's, it's like a constant documentation of your own journey. Like Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, he journaled for 20 years and it is all, it's based, his book, Green Lights is based off all of his journals. He, He got them all stacked up. Uh, and he went off from his family to like a resort, like 200 miles away in America. He sat with his journals and wrote a book based off his experience from his journals. I think it's an amazing yeah, thing to do. Yeah, that's incredible. That's something that like I've, I keep every single, or I have them literally from way before even the beginning of university from when I was like 13. Mm. And I think that's one of the most, like sometimes I open them and I'm like, but that's what I mean. this girl was sad. But, but that's what I mean. If I would have done it from back then when I was 13, mm. I would have been a much nicer kid in school. I would have been a much more self-aware kid in school I would have probably understood myself a lot more and what I wanted to do Mm. so like what I'm saying is I always say this quote like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is now so like for all those people who think oh I'll start next week like just genuinely just start it now because you won't regret it especially with something like Jayla no I think it's so 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 important I want to talk about right at the beginning of the business because I feel like a lot of people as you say like the biggest obstacle is like thinking of the end goal and realizing that you need to do that now like everyone looks at your business for example and thinks like well I could never do that because they haven't done the step one yeah 
let's talk about right at the beginning let's talk about like the first product you got up on your site yes. even the creating of the site itself could yes. you talk me through how that even came about yeah so just for say that me and joe were actually at the train station yesterday and we just set our budget with our cfo for the year and like we've talked about profitability and all that sort of stuff and like we were saying like isn't it mad how we've never like all we've been doing so far is like we've we've had no budget, we've had no CFO, we've had no person in finance. Like we've just been literally doing business with a blindfold over our eyes, stabbing in the dark, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And it's worked. And I was thinking, we were saying like, why do you reckon it's worked? And it's like, well, we've never done it to achieve something. We just wanted to live a really like meaningful and cool life between ourselves. Like we wake up, me and Joe wake up every day, go to an office with a team of people we've created. And, and sell effectively, buy and sell pre-loved luxury products. Like it is just a, like, it, like, even though it's like not worth 50, 100 million, like whatever, like whatever we do, it is such a dream that we're living. Like it, we feel so lucky to be able to do that every single day. And it's not about like when you're starting a business, it's not about like what our end goal is. It's like, what do you actually want to, what do you want to be doing every single day? Mm. Like we're so lucky to be doing this every single day. And like we had a, we had like a reminisce about, because the chain got canceled. So we were just chatting for a while and it's just like, we just feel so grateful and so lucky to be able to do something like this. You're completely right. Like, isn't that such a privilege and mm. such like an incredible, I don't mean that in a kind of like, wow, you're so lucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that something so incredible that you've been able to build something that you feel that excited about? Like I, having had like the beginning years of when I first started Treddy, for example, were amazing. They were so easy comparative to how it's been since. Like they were, I was so excited all the time because I had that feeling. And then in the middle having like, you know, the restructuring of Tala, like all of these different, like really, really like shit show years. Mm -hmm. Now I was just like coming back from the trip I've just been on and like raring to go and raring to go into the office. And I just like, I identify with what you've said so strongly and it feels so insane to me because I feel like for the past, like this is the first time I felt like this after having been like burnt out for like a good few years mm -hmm. and genuinely feeling like, like I feel like I'm going every day when I go to work, I feel like I'm going to this little like play acting thing yes. that is like so fun. Like every time there's like a two hour product meeting when we're talking about literally what does it look like for the next season? it's so much fun. Yes. Like, as in like, I'm sitting there and be like, I like that one yeah. and I like that one. And it's like, don't get me wrong. That is not representative of like the whole of business, but like that is representative at the moment. And yeah. like, that is the coolest thing ever to have been able to build something mm -hmm. that you feel so like, don't get me wrong. There've been times where I've dreaded going to work, like mm -hmm. dreaded going into the office, dreaded coming back from like a bank holiday or whatever it might be. And it's so worth the times when you go in, like for months yeah. now, it's just felt like the team's so amazing, the product's so amazing, the opportunity's so amazing. Like just going in and being like, it's like playing like play doctors. It's just At like, <laughs> I say this to Joe all the time, even when something bad happens, like we've got quite a humorous group of leadership mm. team. So when something yeah, bad same. happens, like, like we, we are like, honestly, when we first hear about it, we're, we're like, we're raging. We're like, oh, and then we, we kind of like take a step back and change our perspective. And then we just start laughing about it. And we're like, like it's just a game. Mm. Like, like it, no one's died. Like no one's, no one's not been paid this month. Like it's not the end of yeah. the world. Obviously. Yeah. We're not saving lives. Yeah. Yeah. Literally like there's people out there who are, who are putting their life at risk to save others. Mm. Like all we're doing is selling clothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. So our, 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 our achievements, yeah, they're great to us. Like no one really cares about them. And that's a really another thing. Cause like no one really cares about what you do. So it's just liberating mm. that you're able to just be free and do whatever you want. Like when I was first creating TikTok videos, like before that, I was so bothered about what people thought about me. And then I, I realized no one's looking at me 24 seven. No one actually cares. And even if they do make fun of a video that I'm making, it's only for three seconds or five mm. seconds. So like, why would you stop th the three seconds of that person's life? Re re really like for the scale we built our TikTok, especially it's like, like build a life changing thing. Like, mm. why would you let someone like that stop you from building a life changing thing? So it's just wild, but yeah, like very lucky to have a humorous leadership group. And then, um, yeah, it's just like you said, it's just like playing doctor. Like it's just a game. Yeah, but I think that's so inspiring. Mm. And I feel like if I'd heard myself say this like two years ago when I was like in the pits, yes. I'd be like, 
keep on going, keep yeah. on going, keep on going. Like when you say, like when you say it's just a game, mm-hmm. I feel like that is the most exciting thing. Like when you start looking at your life as this game. Do you know why we say it's play- like the game? Because it's fun. Right. And but also but more than that, it's fun. It's occupying it. Your, your brain, a game isn't relaxed. Like yes. it's not like True. it's, it's fulfilling. It's stimulating. Like all of these different things. Like I am the type of person, like I love organized fun. Like I've got a games night, you know, at least once a month with all of my friends. Like it's, that's what I mean by a game. Like it's when you start looking at your life as a game mm-hmm. and you start looking at it in terms of the way of like, how can I make this? Like, how can I play this mm-hmm. as best as possible? Whether that's about money, whether that's about family, whether that's about the amount of time off you can get and then spending as little time working as possible, no matter what that game looks like to you. Mm-hmm. I do feel like that becomes quite like an appealing, like kind of proposition. And this is where it kind of links back to what I was saying previously about bettering yourself. And also like what I was talking to you about before, like with the law of accumulation. So like, this is something I'm obsessed with, like really obsessed with at the moment. I keep watching the same video over and over again, because when Which I, is it? when I explain, so it's a, it's a video of this fella. He's a Canadian um, author and he's talking like just, just as a speech, it's literally like a four minute video, Canadian author called Brian Tracy. So like Brian Tracy's off the Thunderbirds as well. So he's got the same name. Right. Um, different one. Yeah. Different not, the Thunderbird. <laughs> not the Thunderbird. Um, so basically it's like, Everything you do in life counts. So so imagine you have this balance sheet. You've got a plus side and you've got a negative side. And everything you do that's beneficial to your goals, it goes on the plus side. And everything you do that isn't pushing you towards your goals, it goes on the negative side. And like the people who have had a successful life in the terms of law of accumulation is the ones that have far outweighed stuff on the positive sides. And the most important thing is, there's two things, is one, everything counts. So like nothing you do is neutral. So it's either pushing you away or pulling you back. And that's not to say that it's not okay to do stuff that pulls you back, but just to be aware of this law is super, super important. And then the other thing is that not everyone understands that everything counts. They think that only the things they want to count counts, but Mm. it's not, it's everything counts. So if you have, if you understand that law of accumulation, it's like everything I do matters. So if you're trying to push on the push side, uh, plus side more often, you just become a lot more better of a person. Mm. And it was something I was doing loads without understanding what the law of accumulation was. It's only in recent months where I've saw the videos and I was like, oh my God, that's been my theory of how I've bettered myself. So if anyone wants to listen to the law of accumulation. Yeah, I just want to talk about like that first sale. Yes. Or like the first sales as a whole. Yeah. Like, how did you get those first sales? How yeah. did you get that first money to mm-hmm. actually start getting the business off the ground? Yeah, so we had 1,200 pounds to start off with. And then we would buy off eBay and Depop. We would get them in, we would clean them up, um, and then we would sell them on Instagram. So, so we, you hold inventory? Yes, we hold a lot of inventory, yeah. Sure. Um, we have also offered a service recently uh, off the back of Dragon's Den, because we knew there was a demand for it, of like consignment. So like our USPs, you can sell your product directly to us and we'll give you cash. But for items that were like quite slow sellers for us, it made sense for us to just to offer that consignment model for people who have tons of stuff that they want to get rid of, but don't want to do any of the work and don't mind waiting for the payments to go through to them. So we can sign some items and we also um, buy outright items, but we do hold a lot of inventory. Like we hold it all because we need to clean it. We need to picture it. And then we need to ship it out because we want, we want still that service if you were buying directly from a brand rather than directly from someone else who needs to send it and then because obviously it takes a lot of time the customer service isn't great so we we want to we want to make that all in-house hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, so the first ones is the, the story about the first product that we sold is actually pretty funny. So we bought a pair of Montclair sandals and then um, we actually sold them to Joe's now girlfriend. So she, no was, our, she was our first ever customer, yeah. And... Did he know her? Yeah, I think so. I didn't know they knew each other at the time. He was like, we've got a sale, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> He's paid her to yeah, buy the yeah. product. Yeah, he, no was, he was in charge of selling and he was like, oh, I'm getting these numbers up, just selling them to all my friends and this girl who I'd have randomly known. He was like, she's got good taste. That sounds like a future girlfriend of mine. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. And so you just accumulated over time in terms of that. Yeah, so we've had no investment. Literally, it's just been a hamster wheel of buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. And it don't get me wrong, like it's a very slow way to grow your business, but it's a very, very sustainable way yeah. to grow your business. No, absolutely. And I'm one of the biggest proponents for knowing the type of business you want to build. Mm-hmm. And like as someone who owns very different types of businesses, even if it might not appear so like externally, like there is a very different type of life if I was just if I was just running Shreddy there's a very different life I would live to if yes. I was just running Tala yes. like and that's one of the best examples I can give of like subscription tech like this type of business versus fashion business like mm-hmm. very different types of businesses but also you can run different businesses in different ways so absolutely I completely agree like there's so much online around like I want to build a multi-million pound business I want to do this that and the other I want to do you know if you build an agency, you're gonna have a very different life yes. to if you build a D2C fashion business. Yes. Like I cannot even t- I cannot believe there's the same name of business owner for both mm-hmm. of those things because it is a whole different life, whole different skill set, whole different profitability, whole different like finances. I've never thought of it like that, but you're so right. But but I think that there's this like when you look at the glorification of like entrepreneurship online and you look at like how it's sold, how it's packaged and sold to everyone who's Mm -hmm. like consuming content, there's this like, I want to be a business owner. And like the picture of the business owner is someone sitting with like a laptop by a pool in Dubai. (laughs) And like, that's the, like, as in like, there's this kind of, or someone who's just like exited a business and is on, you know, like got some house in LA, like, or whatever it might be. There's very little of kind of like, okay, well, this one wasn't, this one actually still owns the business. And so that's how they're able to do that because they're an agency owner. So it's very profitable. They're just Mm -hmm. doing it like, but when they go on holiday, they don't make any money. Mm -hmm. Like all of these like different ones. It's so different. Mm -hmm. And actually for you to say, you were able to do it by accumulating and saying, okay, well, we've made 200 pounds more from this. So we can invest that X amount of that into our next pan bag or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And I think the, the main thing of that, what I was just thinking as you were saying it, it's like you need to understand what type of business owner you want to be if you want to be one. And the only way you're going to know is by trying loads mm-hmm. of different things. And I say this to everyone, it's like not even in entrepreneurship, but like what career they want to do mm-hmm. or like what sport, what hobby they want to take. And I was like, well, if you don't know, the only way you're going to know how to eventually is try. Mm-hmm. So you just got to try everything. Be prepared to fail. Be be prepared to be embarrassed because we've been embarrassed. To, like, like we still get embarrassed today. Like there was an Instagram post that I had to take down the other day just because like it didn't sit right with people. And I was like, oh, bit embarrassed but yeah got, that let, wrong. yeah got that wrong but like the only way we're gonna know is if we track it was a new style of content we were trying and people hated it yeah and i was like oh. brilliant well we'll try that now <laughs> i know but that was that was literally two days ago mm. so like what i'm saying is like like just because you built something it doesn't mean you're you're uh not prone to making these mistakes or mm. making these failures like it always happens and actually when no one's looking so when you when you're first starting the business that is when you it's amazing to make all the mistakes because no one looks at them it's only you who and it's a great way to to build resilience up because Mm. you're making all these mistakes no one's looking except you so you're internally embarrassed a little bit but it's but it's it's not like you're a ceo of a multi-billion dollar company and you've made a horrendous mistake and now it's now the stock's gone down so much Yeah, yeah exactly no i completely agree and actually like one of my recent examples of that was like i only got on TikTok like a year ago and I remember I know do you know what I know it's strange that. biggest bag fumble ever where was yeah, shit be- locked down I know because like I was looking uh obviously like when being so involved uh, in the TikTok world 
I was like looking at all these creators, like, and I was like, they're doing TikTok bads. They're doing TikTok bads. And then I, I looked for yours and I was like, she's not even on TikTok. <laughs> she's fucking <laughs> yeah. nothing at Genuinely, all. Genuinely, Yeah, what the fuck? I know. Why what the not? Fuck? Um, because Were you I, too cool for it, Grace? No, I was absolutely not too cool for it. I like the opposite. I was too, too busy fumbling the bag. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I was so burnt out. I was restructuring Tala. I literally was on, I was on the verge of something. I did like, I was honestly just, I cannot tell you I feel you bad for how. saying you too no, cool no, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, it was it was a really, 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 really shit time. And also part of that was the fact that I'd, you know, I'd grown on social media for however many years and that was my job. And mm. I was known as an influencer and a YouTuber and all of that. And that wasn't what I wanted to do with my career. And I decided that, you know, I basically felt like at 18, I'd made a decision for my career, which actually wasn't compatible with who I want to be or like how I want to do things. And so I was a bit stuck and so didn't want to create any content because I didn't want a single other person to find me as a, you know, as someone who was doing that. Like it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I didn't, uh, even if you look at my Instagram during that time, Christ, was I giving people nothing? Like mm. absolutely zero. Um, So I only actually went on like, what I was going to say with like the the TikTok is that actually when I went on it, because I was on it for a first time like a year ago, I actually, for the first time ever this is how I started realizing that the reason I felt kind of like unable to do anything was or not unable to do anything but the reason I felt so like stunted was the fact that I'd built this audience over the past few years and then I had to I felt like I had to perform mm -hmm. and actually as soon as I got on TikTok I was like oh my god no one's no one's even watching me mm -hmm. and I'm irrelevant enough as a person that like if you unfollow me or don't follow me you don't know who I am mm -hmm. I'm not on TV I'm not mm -hmm. on you know like as in I can disappear very quickly from your life if you'd like me to and so I was like it felt so freeing to be able to like go Isn't on TikTok and be able to yeah. yeah and then I was like oh I just need to pretend that's the case for everything else and yeah. that's when I started switching in terms of my Instagram I was like I'm just gonna post what I want to post yeah. like half the people can unfollow me I don't care that's not my because why would I I, I was caring about that but actually I didn't I, need to because that's not what I what, knew that wasn't what I wanted to it's do what everyone do, does they they set these unrealistic mm. expectations that you've made up yourself mm. and like for you you think you need to hit them to to meet the the expectations mm. of people and like even even just saying that meet the expectations of other people it's just ridiculous like yeah. you should be doing stuff for while you want to do it yeah yeah let, let's talk about your social strategy because hmm. actually like on the topic I feel like that's one of the like it's such an exciting part of your business and I yeah. think it's so unique as well like your business has bigger social following than businesses probably like I don't know unicorns like billion yeah. dollar yeah. businesses for sure and that's incredibly exciting like yeah. you've done <clears throat> so well I want to get straight into the nuts and bolts of how you grew okay what was your strategy so like we were on TikTok so early, so we we got on there about 2019. So like three years before you you were even, you were even on it, which is wild. Like mm. imagine three years worth of work that we'd accumulated. Like I feel like if, as I said, fumbled. Yeah. <laughs> like, Rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> we um. So that that meant in like a lot of things, but most importantly is that we were able to learn a lot quicker than a lot of mm. people because we had years of experience in it. So by the time lockdown came around. I already knew what type of videos people wanted to consume. So it was like, I posted the first seven, six, seven videos and they were like rubbish. Like I, I had no experience in content creation, no experience in making a good engaging video. Like, like nothing worked. And then someone sent a DM saying, please, can you show me how to tie a pair of Alexander McQueen trainers? And I was in the office doing nothing. I was like, oh, I'll just, instead of explaining it to her, I'll video it and I'll send her it as a message. And then I thought, Oh, instead of sending it to her as a message, I'll post it on TikTok and then post it on Instagram and then share it with her and then be like, look, I've made this video for you. Like, come and buy some now, like as a value proposition to her. And then like, I put my phone down and then I must have checked my phone like 12 hours later the next day. And it was like 700,000 views. And like genuinely from that moment, I was like, oh my God, I know what people want to consume. They just want to leave the video knowing something that they didn't when they entered the video. So I was so I was like, there's loads of people in my industry down south. Like there was no one really up north. I think there's one up north. There's loads of people down south that no one really knows about, especially in the whole of the UK. And like, they're not that 
big businesses. Like they've had loads of investment, but really they're not that big of a business. So like, how do we, but the, but the market's out there. So how do we attract those people mm. to come to our business? And it's like, well, we need to create content on social media. So I was like, okay, what works on social media? So I was like, okay, giving value. So instead of like looking at all our competitors and being like, here's a picture of a Birkin, like right. the most expensive, yeah, like. the most expensive bag in the world. Like here's a picture of a Chanel that you can't get because Chanel won't sell you one. Like I have it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like here's here seven things you can do to get someone to give you a Birkin <laughs> yeah. for 30,000 pounds. Literally, literally. So I was like, okay, if I want to build an audience, I'm going to have to build a big audience and 80% of those people aren't going to care what we sell. It's just the 80, 20 rule. Like 80% of them aren't going to care, but to, to to get to that 20%, I have to go through that 80%. Mm. So I'm going to build, I'm going to take the angle I'm going to use, which I didn't know at the time, my unfair advantage of being from Liverpool as a teenager, a boy talking about women's handbags and fashion. I was like, I'm going to do this because it just got people so curious when they first came across me. They were like, what the hell is this guy <laughs> What's doing? What's going on like, here? It's literally 100%. And like, like when I bump into people who, who notice me off socials, they're like, like, that's the first thing they say. They're like, I just got so intrigued because I've never heard or seen someone like you mm. talk about this industry. So the strategy has really evolved over time, but the main thing of it is just providing value. And I know that's a very blanket term of like, oh, you have to provide value or to be like, come and be my client, I'll provide you value. But it's really like, the, the, in simple terms, is giving something to someone that they didn't know they wanted, that they never had when they first came onto your profile. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is so powerful and you would be surprised at how much value that would add to literally every single traditional business yeah. out there so instead of talking about the product you sell instead of talking about uh, how you can benefit this company talk about so it's a part it's a it's a strategy i like to call hosting the party talk about the industry talk like give people a reason why they come back onto your brand at 5 p.m every night when when your audience know you post mm. give them a reason to come back so yeah, the hosting the party strategy is like talk about your industry, talk about the news in there, talk about history in there, talk about your opinions on there because everyone loves an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. Um, so yeah, that was the strategy we took. And I'm so, so surprised that people haven't copied us. I mean, they have copied us, but they see it not work for about two months and they're like, Oh, it's only worked for him because he's mm. a, a lad from Liverpool who talks about fashion and he's been doing it for, for, for whatever. It's like, it's not that. It's that you just have to do it for three years and you have to post three times a day. And if you yeah, don't want to do it, if you don't want to do it, then, then but like the, the, I've, I've done the blueprint for everyone who wants to build social media three times a day for three years. Go and do it. Like there's, there's the plan. There, there's how you can get millions of followers. But people just don't want to do it because it takes so long to do. Yeah. And similar to building the business. Like it was a very slow way of building it, but it was very sustainable. Right. But it, it takes long to do if you think of it only as the end goal. Like if you're thinking of like building two mm. million followers, fine. That takes long to do. 100%. Do you know what doesn't take long, long though is the first 10,000 of those uh -huh. X amount of whom, you know, if we're talking about that two, two, 20% rule, then like 2,000 of those yes. are actually interested. That's 2,000 fucking people. If you had 2,000 people uh -huh. buy from your site, yeah. that would be a good day, you know? So actually looking at that and looking at like, I, I always talk about the kind of like value add side as well. You guys are a class act in how to value add on social media. And I think the biggest misconception is that like a brand's page, okay, it's a brand's page, but no one comes on social media to see how they can help someone else. Yeah. Like you're not opening TikTok being like, how could I add to this business's bottom line today? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Like you're, that, that's categorically not what comes into people's heads. They want something to add to them. Like mm -hmm. it's their TikTok. They we're, want we're advice. Selfish, they want, it? yeah, exactly. Like it's it's an inherent human trait that we are selfish, selfish and we are self-serving. So like I always, because it's so funny because um, we have different, social strategies for you know the different brands but one of the it's easier I would say for fashion also to be able to talk about yourselves because people us the selfish side of that is that people want to also wear that stuff because they want to look good or they want to try something that's flattering or whatever so you can get away with talking about the product shreddy for example like is completely different because yes. in the fitness industry like they don't want to hear like what equipment they need they don't want to hear like why they should be using your subscription. Yeah. If you go onto Shreddy's page, I there will be one post out of every 15 probably that even mentions the product. Uh -huh. Like it is about 
okay, this customer, what do they want? They want education. They want yes. help. They want to know where to put their feet on a leg press. They want to know yeah. like how what their move is from beginner to an intermediate when going from this type of move to this type of move. They want to be educated. They don't want to be sold to. Like selling has no place on social media if it is not a byproduct of something else. And it's so relieving when you understand that as a strategy because the content you can can create becomes so much easier to execute Mm. because like you know what people want to know. You're just not telling them. Whereas if, whereas if you understand the strategy of like, oh, people just want to be educated, there are like people, people find it hard to create content because they, un- they think content in a different way. Mm. Whereas if you understand it as education, then you can just create videos like mm. that, like so many videos so easily. And even going back to what you said, it's like 2 million followers. If that's the end, end goal, then it becomes like a really big thing. And then you said, if you break it down, it's a short thing to 10,000. If you break it down even more to that one video, it takes half a day. Right. Do you know what I mean? So like, it's so easy to do just over a long period of time. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that is incredibly important. How is your strategy different now from when you started? Last year, we grew 950,000 followers across our three socials. So Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. That is insane. Mm -hmm. So really cool. Very proud of the team. Um, So for the first three months up until April, we were doing content that was like recycled content of old viral stuff we've already done. And it was very scripted, not very authentic, didn't feel right, but we grew like 300,000 followers, 400,000 followers. And then we switched to doing fashion history, fashion stories, talk like picking a brand or a person in fashion, like Anna Wintour, Karl Lagerfeld, and building like a week's worth of content around them. The most views we've ever got ever, like 120 million views month after month after month. We did it for three months. But what we noticed was like engagement was massive, but we only grew 10,000 followers. So compared to 300,000, 400,000 in the three months before, we only grew 10,000 followers. And you could say, yeah, amazing. 10,000 followers who are interested in the brand. But on socials, our messaging wasn't that we bought and sold pre-loved stuff. So we did a pop-up shop. We got 800, 1,000 people there in a queue on the first day. And 90% of them, 95% of them didn't know we bought and sold pre-loved luxury goods. So again, a massive error we made in our strategy. Like we got, like our egos got in the way of being like, we're getting 100,000, 200,000 likes. Right, you're a media company. Yeah, like you're yeah. a content generator. I like, as said in that. Like- I said, I see myself as a media company that happens to buy and sell. And I was wrong completely with that. So then we come back. We were like, we have to re-strategize. We, we went until September. Uh, to finish off fashion month to cover it all. And then we started again in October. We reverted back to a strategy that was a mixture of all our strategies that had worked in the past. So it's asking the office stuff, mm. building it, building um, a community that gets to know our office. Because like if you're in an office, people know you work. If people know you work, they're curious about what you do as work. We would then do product unboxings, but with facts in the background as voiceovers, really good content. And then we would also do scripted stuff as well, which I don't like too much. But I'm just, I'm still like now, five years into working on social media, I'm still trying to understand how we can build our strategy out to be the best that I want Looks Collective Mm. to be. But anyway, the last three months of the year, we grew like 500,000 followers. Incredible. You're amazing. So easy to do though. But like, and I could give like a whole course on how to do it. And, but like now, the strategy is like because we've got a bigger budget this year because we've got a CFO who can actually allocate us a bit more money. We're gonna be doing a lot of like, this year is about bringing Lux Collective alive. Like we've been very, very big on socials the past three, four years, but this year is about bringing Lux Collective alive. Mm. So we're gonna be doing a lot more out of home stuff. We're gonna be doing activations, like YouTube styley videos, but like with the community, we're gonna be inviting a lot of people to our HQ. So like we're trying to curate the community a lot more. But if we grow 10,000 followers this year, like I said, the 10,000 wasn't a lot, but no one knew what we did. If we grew 10,000 followers this year and every single person knew what we did, Mm. then that's a very successful year. So this year is all about bringing Lux Collective alive, bringing it all, like making community our number one priority and growing followers who are actually interested within the brand. So we're gonna be filming a lot of all the out of home stuff we're going to do. So it's going to change again and it might not work. It might work, but that's the fun of the game, isn't it? But it's a lesson in social media agility and understanding algorithms and Mm. also understanding like you can do something to grow, but if growing is not your main KPI, if sales is your main KPI, then it's not the right thing to do or like it should be split or whatever. And I think you guys are such a good example of how to activate based on what you 
based on that, like based on your goals changing, what is the best thing for you to do this year? Like, as you said, last year, 10,000 would have been not a lot. Mm -hmm. This year, 10,000 is a lot if it's the right people. Amazing. But I think that's, I think that's such an important lesson. I just want to talk quickly yeah. about Dragon's Den. Yes, of course. So congratulations. You're hot off the Dragon's Den press, having received um, some incredible investment. today? Well, isn't that a fun anniversary <laughs> to celebrate with me? Um, did they approach you to come on the show? So they did. And then it went quiet. So then we applied because we they reached out to us and we were really super busy. And we were like, yeah, yeah, let's just do it, whatever. I can't remember what his name was, but he just emailed us. And then like we heard nothing of it for ages. And then we got a bit of quiet time in the business, like just a quiet period, as most businesses do. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's always quiet and then, <laughs> and even then, if the sales are slow. <laughs> and then we and then we I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna apply. So then I applied. And like genuinely haven't looked back since. I would recommend anyone who's got a business out there to go on it. It's just the most fun experience. Like when you're older, like you'll look back and be like, I'm so glad I did that. Like it, like just to be in front of those five people who are amazing entrepreneurs in the UK, to come up with a deal, if you get a deal, is just amazing. Like just to be able to work alongside people like that, and especially Stephen, who's a big inspiration of mine, is just something I thought I would never do ever. So like 15 year old me would be very, very proud of me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you now should be very, very proud of you. I think it's a, I, th I think you guys are so, you're really paving your own way. And I think what I mean by that is like, you know, you're not the first people to go on Dragon's Den. You're not the first people to do TikTok, but I feel like you have such an open mind when it comes to what might be the next step mm -hmm. for you as a business. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such a lesson. That's a lesson to me. I think that's a lesson to anyone getting stuck in their ways keeping an open mind and saying, yeah, we're not the first people on Dragon's Den. And, you know, it's not a big thing on social media at the moment. What if we did it and made it a big thing on social media? Mm -hmm. Like that is such a refreshing and kind of exciting approach. And you can see that your audience gets so excited about it, but mm -hmm. it's also so valuable to the business. Yeah. I want to talk about the actual day. Yes. Um, so you practice your pitch. Yeah, we didn't get it right at all once. No. So like genuinely, we, we so we stayed in Manchester the night before. We were we brought a camera guy with us because we did uh, vlogs, so like the the before den and then after the den, um, because we thought no one's done that on social media. Yeah. Obviously, as a social thinking company, first we thought it's obvious to do, and then um, yeah, we practiced it loads, didn't get it right, and then the producers come in and they say, right, we want to hear your pitch. Did it about three or four times in front of them, didn't get it right. So like pressure was so high just leading up to going into the den, and. Um, yeah, got it like spot on when we went into the den. Like the the we were me and the boys who I went on with, we were having like a little tiff about the strategy of doing it. We were like, I because obviously I'm a storyteller through and mm. through. I was like, we have to go on there and tell a story. And they were like, no, we just need to say our figures. They'll be impressed by them. And I was like, yeah, but if we want to cur like curate a deal out of them, we have to hit them emotionally. And genuinely, when I was saying the pitch, all five of them, you don't really see too much on TV, but all five of them were on the edge of the seats, just like open-eyed, like looking like captivated. Um, but yeah, incredible. Like just genuinely, just, I can't believe it. Like genuinely right now, like just thinking about it, it's like, it was just surreal, really surreal. And in there doing the pitch, how long did you actually spend in the room? Oh, like two hours. Really? Two and a half. And you properly go through, because that's longer than even a normal pitch for say like a VC. Yeah. But usually then you would have a few follow-ups in terms of like, you'd go to investment committee, you do like a number of these different things, which obviously they all do in the room because they don't need an investment yes. committee because they are the investment committee. Yeah. Um, like what, what were you being, what were you asked? So we were asked about, uh, stock turnover, which we got like ripped apart on because yeah. we, just, our, just our numbers were wrong. But what, so our main aim of going in there was to come across as three nice, relatable kids. Yeah. Like, that's all we wanted. Like whether we got a deal or not, it wasn't the end of the world. We just wanted to come across as that. And we said, the only way we can do that is by being ourselves and being accountable. So if, if they catch us out on anything straight away, just say, sorry, we got it wrong. You're right. Yeah. And we did that three or four times. And like, as soon as you say that to someone, no matter what walk of life, like put this scenario in particular, like, they can't say anything. Yeah, you, you cannot go, oh. bullshit investors. Yeah, like yeah, there yeah. is no reason to, there is no gain but to they, it. But they, they applauded us. Yeah, like, you, yeah, yeah. You didn't see it. Because they, it's a very normal part of a Yeah, yeah. They, they were like, I just love, like they didn't put it in a TV uh, program, but they were like, I just love 
how open and honest and relatable you guys are. And when, as soon as they said that, we were like, yes. Delivered. Like, we, like yeah, goal, goal had been achieved. Mm. And do they do the due diligence afterwards? Yeah, so it takes about six months. So we okay. didn't actually meet Stephen until about six to eight months Oh, after. so they do the due diligence before? So to go on the show, you, you give due diligence to the BBC just to show you're not a, a, a made-up business. And then after you get the deal, you then send due diligence off to their team and they check through it. So it's like two steps of due diligence, one to the BBC and then one to the investor you get. And then after the due diligence has been checked, you then, I don't know, it could be different, but that was just our experience. And they only air it after that point. Yeah, so like we filmed it in May, they aired it in Jan. So about, is that 10 months after? It's not, but. (laughs) (laughs) Six, seven. You can tell why we had to hire a CFO. I love that. And so you've got the actual money now. Um, so the deal we agreed wasn't a deal, wasn't actually the deal that happened on the show. Okay. Just because of a lot of things that we wanted, a lot of things that Stephen wanted, but it's a deal that probably is better than the show and what we wanted more so from the mm. show. So having been on Dragon's Den, having got the deal, having achieved what you wanted to achieve, what is next what's the plan for this year what can people be looking forward to yeah so loads and loads of out of home activations like i said before um we're going to build out a leadership team as well because me joe and ollie like we are our leadership team at the moment we like i used to push trolleys in tesco joe used to work at fixing phones in a in a in like a in a place that fixed phones and then (laughs) (laughs) and then ollie had three businesses before I'm sure he won't mind me sharing because he did a big LinkedIn post about it, but he tried three businesses and wasn't successful at them. So like we've all come together as this bunch of misfits who's happened to build this thing because like we've got each other's backs. We're, we're all supportive of each other. And because you're fucking great. Yeah. And, and, and like we've, we've, we're quite skilled like <laughs> from failing so many times. Like we've failed forwards. We've, we've learned so much and we're open to learn as well. So, but what we really need is, and me and Joe and Ollie are really like, humble enough to admit this is that we don't know everything Mm. like there's so much out there that we can learn from so we need to hire a leadership team who've been there and done that and learn from them and then we to progress our careers as people and progress our knowledge and experience and perspective like we need to learn from them so leadership team and a lot of -of out-of-home marketing campaigns because the operations of the business ollie worked on it last year unbelievable probably the best operations of a pre-loved company that holds product in the UK, in Europe, in the world. Like, honestly, unbelievable. He's done a fantastic job. So the operations is there. We're ready to scale. So it's just about getting getting the stock in. It's about spreading the awareness of the brand a little bit more and building that leadership team. Love it. Sounds like a very good plan to me. <laughs> I want to ask you a few questions before we end. Yes. Because I feel like you have some great thoughts and insight in terms of general, like the types of things we like to talk about um, on this podcast around life improvement, how you can get to the next level. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So it was actually something Stephen said, and it was just, just it was so laissez-faire, like he didn't know he said it, but it struck a chord with me massively. And like, I haven't even spoken to anyone about this actually. I walked into his room to meet him for the first time like after the den, and he was like, yeah, so blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking of doing this this year. What do you reckon of it? And literally he just said, I don't know, try it. And like, no, like it wasn't a big thing at the time, but I couldn't stop thinking about it after it. And I was like, someone who has been so successful doesn't know the answer to some, like I thought he knows all the answers. Like that's why we wanted him because uh, as a dragon, because he knows everything. Like all the dragons know everything. Like surely, surely they're going to give me, give, give me a, like a sane answer, whether how, how much it's going to work, whether it's going to work or not. And he literally just said, I don't know, try it. It was such a relief to be like, he doesn't even know how the hell am I meant to know? It just meant everything I've approached from that moment. It's just been like, we don't know the answer until we do it. So just try everything. Mm. No, I think that's brilliant advice. And I do think the like trying aspect of it and like you really don't know until you try, especially like within business, within what, you know, your career, all of these things, you're never going to know it until um, you try it. Uh, there's, a, there's a video ages ago that I seen from ASAP Brocky and it's it's brilliant. To be you have such a wide Yeah, it's wild. wild of <laughs> Genuinely, Gary V, ASAP Brocky, honestly. <laughs> and like, 
it, it, but it's really relevant. And it's like for those people who don't want to try because like they don't want to put in effort. And he just he just looks at the camera and he's like, since when is it not being cool to try? Like since when is it being like you're up here because you don't want to try? Like you're cool for not trying. Like it's That's not a cool thing mm -hmm. to do. Like the coolest thing is to be vulnerable, is to expose yourself and just do as much as possible. Because if you are one of these people who want to achieve something you're gonna have to try a lot of things because yeah. let me tell you a lot of things don't work so to mm. find a thing that does work you have to go through all the failures of the thing that doesn't if someone was investing in one designer piece yeah what would you recommend from the piece and what would you recommend for them to like look out for in the process of that yeah. investing yeah brilliant okay so there's lots of different ways you can go down so the best investments kelly's and birkin's but like you said before, not everyone has £30,000 to spend on a bag because you can literally buy them from the shop for seven to £10,000 and then you can sell them for £25,000, £30,000. But getting in that situation in the first place where you can actually be accepted to buy one is extremely difficult. Then you can go down from that and invest in a Chanel bag, which isn't the best to resell. Like you couldn't buy it and resell it like a Birkin. But if you buy it and kept it, it would hold the value, probably go up a little bit. But then if you want to go on the smaller level, so like the the average person can invest in, it has to be something pre-loved because exactly like a car, if you buy a new car, drive it off the forecourt, it loses 40, 50% of its value. If you buy a handbag, no matter whether it's a really classic color, black, like gold hardware, like if it's a, these brands like Gucci, Saint Laurent, like um, Louis Vuitton, like amazing classic handbags, they still don't keep the value. They lose the value as soon as you buy them. So if you buy pre-loved, you can buy it for 50, 60% off retail, wear it and sell it for pretty much what you bought it for. So it's not like you're making money, but you're not losing any. But you could actually, and what we've been diving into and looking into recently is whilst you're not wearing that bag, you can rent it out. So like you can, if you wanted to make money, I, I would suggest like buying those products if you, when you're not using them, rent them out. And then when you don't want it anymore, then eventually sell it. But mm. the best investments have to, and I'm not just doing this as like a plug to pre-loved. It genuinely has to be pre-loved. It's similar to a car, very similar to a car. If you buy a used car, you could sell it three or four more, three or four years later for very similar price. Yeah, I sold my car <laughs> a year later for the exact same price I it's, bought it. Exactly. It's a free rental. You've got, you've got, exactly. You've got to look at, Buying and selling handbags and investing in handbags exactly the same as cars. Mm. Well, I think that is a great place to end. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. You have been incredible. I feel like this was a conversation that I learned a lot from. And I feel like it's one of those ones that I'm going to want to like listen back to <laughs> a number of times to really like digest everything you said. Um, but I think you guys have done so incredibly well. Thank you. And you have disrupted in the true sense of the word. You have taken nothing at face value in terms of like, this is how you should do things or this is the way it should be or this is how fast you should grow or this is what you should prioritize. You've done it truly your way. And I just think that it is like, it's so incredibly inspiring. It's been so inspiring for me to watch, <laughs> um, but I think to so many other people too. And I Really hope you guys are incredibly proud of yourselves. Thank you so much. That's like the longest splurge of someone, <laughs> compliments. someone complimenting me ever. Thank you so much. I like much. people to leave the room feeling happy <laughs> and good about themselves. <laughs> no, it's been, a, it's been amazing. And thank you so much for having me on. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com